Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Sydney. She's 41 and struggling with fatigue. She's not rested when she wakes up in the morning and then just drags throughout her whole day. She gets a little bit of a second wind after dinner when she plows through all of her chores, but then she crashes in bed only to wake up after eight or even nine hours of sleep, still feeling exhausted. This has been going on for a few years and she felt like she's tried everything. She took B12 supplements, nothing. Iron pills, nothing. Tried eating more protein and less carbs, which helps a lot of people with energy, but not much changed either. She even looked in depth into her thyroid after listening to one of my thyroid shows, but all of her thyroid numbers were completely in range, even by functional standards. So that wasn't it. She was really at a loss, which is when she came to see me. When I met Sydney, I noticed that like many other people I see, she had a lot on her plate. And a few years ago, around when this fatigue really became a problem, she went through a stressful time with her family. I knew that based on what she had already explored, it was more than just a vitamin deficiency, and it was not a straight thyroid issue. And she was eating very well and clean, so that wasn't the culprit either. I could see how much this fatigue impacted her life, and unlike the endocrinologist and the three GPs that she saw, I really understood that this was real and not in her head like others tried to imply. My sense was that her adrenal glands were driving this, and we needed to look more in depth there to solve this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know, because that was me. Before I figured out the actual causes, and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Sydney and her struggles with fatigue. Join me on the show today to talk more about this is Dr. Deborah Matthew. Dr. Matthew is the founder and medical director of Signature Wellness in Charlotte, She combined her background in medicine with her interest in fitness, health, and nutrition to create a complete medical wellness center. She's also a diplomat of the American Board of Integrative and Holistic Medicine, the president of the North Carolina Integrative Medicine Society, member of the Institute of Functional Medicine, and she is certified by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Deb, I am so thrilled to have you here. Welcome. 
Thank you. It's great to be here talking to you today. And I'm really excited to talk about the adrenal glands. It's one of my favorite topics because it affects so many people. I really believe that the health of the adrenal gland is imperative for everyone. And depending, of course, on people's reserves, some people are more affected than others. But I think that we're all affected by what our adrenals are doing in one way or another. And some people may already be familiar with what the adrenals do, and others may still be kind of new and just starting out on their journey. So just to get everyone on the same page, can you give us some highlights about the adrenal glands, why they're important, and what they do for us? So we each have two adrenal glands. They're about the size of a walnut, and they sit right on top of our kidneys. And our adrenal glands make our stress hormones like adrenaline. But adrenaline gets released you know, instantaneously if we're suddenly frightened, for example, and it only lasts for a few minutes, but then it gets replaced by cortisol, which is kind of like a long-acting adrenaline. So your adrenal glands have to make the adrenaline, they make cortisol, they make another one called DHEA, which is an anti-aging hormone. Um, so they make a whole range of hormones that are really important for our survival. Yeah. And, you know, with the adrenals, when someone has an issue with their adrenal glands, what are some symptoms that they can experience? The most common symptom that we see if your adrenal glands aren't really doing their job properly is fatigue. And oftentimes there's even a pattern to the fatigue, which is that it is hard to wake up in the morning. You know, you, you, are supposed to naturally have this circadian release of cortisol. It changes over different times of the day. And you're supposed to make a lot of cortisol first thing in the morning so that it's like getting a little adrenaline rush. So your eyes pop open and you leap from your bed ready to start the day. <laughs> but if your adrenal glands aren't doing a good job, you don't get that little burst of cortisol. And so what ends up happening instead is you press the snooze button a few times. And then even when you get your body out of bed, your brain's not all the way on. So you crawl over to the coffee pot because caffeine boosts cortisol so that your brain can function like a human being. So the morning can be really hard for people who have problems with their adrenal glands. And then over the course of the day, once you get moving, you're sort of okay. But a lot of times people will end up with uh, problems late in the afternoon. They get that bewitching hour at two, three o'clock in the afternoon, which just happens to coincide with the carpool pickup line if you happen to have to pick your kids up at school. And <laughs> it's so hard to keep your eyes open. Um, but a lot of people get that crash in the afternoon. And then they feel like they need caffeine or sugar or something to get them through till supper. And usually people get a little better by supper time, but immediately after supper, you know, 7, 7.30, when it's kind of early to go to bed, that's when people are nodding off while they're watching TV, you know, feeling tired again. But after all that, being tired all day long, for a lot of people, if they stay up a little bit extra, they'll get a second wind. And now at 10 o'clock at night, their brain is awake and they're getting stuff done and then they can't fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So that up and down pattern over the day is one of the most common things that we see when people have an adrenal problem. Yeah, and that's something that Sydney was definitely experiencing. It was a lot of fatigue, but then that second wind at night, and it's so, so common. Yes, and so frustrating too. Yeah, for sure. So what are some of the underlying reasons as to why some of our adrenal glands may not be functioning the way that they're supposed to? So our adrenal glands respond to stress. And when we say stress, we mean all the things that you know about. You're busy, you're worried, 
need, um, you know, um, you got marital problems or financial stress or whatever it is. So all those emotional problems, but physiologic problems count as stress too. So if you're injured or if you have chronic back pain or if you have allergies or if you get urinary tract infections, um, any of these kinds of things count as a stress on your system. And of course, if you have chronic back pain, you know about it, but there are sometimes stresses that you have no idea about, you know, toxins in the environment, for, any, for example. So all of these things added up together is counted as our stress. And when we have a lot of stress, and especially when that stress is very chronic, our adrenal glands have to pump out so much cortisol over a long period of time, and that's when things start to go wrong. So if your cortisol level is chronically elevated, that affects your blood sugar. So it pushes you towards diabetes. It pushes your blood pressure up sometimes. And cortisol is a wear and tear hormone, and it ages your body. So it robs from your bones and pushes you towards osteoporosis. It literally shrinks your brain and can push you towards dementia. So we don't want to live with high cortisol. But sometimes after this has been going on for quite a while, the, the system sort of burns out a little bit and your body can't make enough cortisol to get you through the day. And that's when things get even worse. And you really feel burned out, overwhelmed, exhausted. Um, and it just kind of gets hard to function. Absolutely. Now, another thing that we see a lot, you know, especially people start reading about the adrenal glands is the HPA axis. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's really important. And it's a little bit technical, but our hormones function like as a symphony. They all work together and there's this complex interconnectedness for all of our hormones. And the way that the adrenals work is your hypothalamus in your brain senses when there's stress and it sends a message to your pituitary gland in your brain that we need some help here. So your pituitary gland sends a message to your adrenal glands that there's stress and we need to do something about it. So the adrenal glands release cortisol. So that complex system of your hypothalamus pituitary adrenal gland or HPA is very important. And when your adrenal gland puts cortisol out, then your brain can sense, aha, now we have enough cortisol and it turns that system off. But what can happen is when you have chronic stress, the system kind of gets stuck in the on position. So your body behaves as though there's always stress, even when you know everything is calm and nothing bad is happening right in the moment. Or the system sort of shuts itself down so that even when there is stress and you need help to cope with it, your body isn't properly putting out the right amount of cortisol. And so every little thing becomes stressful in that case. And oftentimes people sort of describe like they just want to crawl back into bed and pull the covers over their head and make it all go away because they just can't deal with things. Mm -hmm. And that would kind of be a symptom of your body can't make enough cortisol in the moment to help you out right now. Yeah. Now, if someone wants to find out what's happening to their adrenal gland and they go to their doctor that's conventional, they're probably not going to get very far. So what are some ways that people can you know, really analyze and see what's happening in their adrenal glands? What are some tests that they can do? Well, the reason that the conventional doctors probably aren't going to be very helpful is because what we are trained to do in medical school is look for either tumors where your body's making way too much cortisol or to look for um, life-threatening diseases where your adrenal glands aren't working at all and they can't make enough cortisol. But 
those are very serious health conditions that are very, very rare. So what we are talking about is within kind of the normal human experience when your adrenal glands are not really functioning at their optimal level, so you don't feel good. And and that's not really a disease and it's not what doctors are taught about at medical school. And so the standard testing that they know how to do is only looking for these tumors and it's not really going to help us here. But we do have either saliva testing or urine testing that we can do in order to see what's happening. And the way that we typically do it is we test your levels multiple times over the day. So when you first wake up in the morning and uh, midday and the afternoon and before you go to bed, and what we can see is the pattern because sometimes it's flipped around backwards. Instead of being high in the morning so you bounce out of bed and low at night so you can fall asleep, we see it flipped. So it's too low in the morning so that you're crawling out of bed and pressing snooze, and then it's too high at night so you can't fall asleep. And if we only measured it one time in the day, we would miss looking at the pattern. So when we send people to the lab to get blood work done, we can do a cortisol level, but it's usually not nearly as helpful as if we can look at the multiple times over the day in the saliva or the urine test. Mm-hmm. So that's the way that I really prefer to do it. Yeah, me too, 100%. And the nice thing also is that when you're doing it that way, you're also then looking at levels of DHEA, you know, and sometimes there's some other hormones that can be included as well. Um, What are some of your favorite labs for saliva and for urine? For saliva testing, um, usually I use ZRT laboratory or sometimes Diagnostex. For urine testing, I like Dutch testing from Precision Analytical and ZRT lab does urine testing too. Now, do you find that you, I don't know if you've ever tried testing the same person, both saliva and urine, are there ever any discrepancies? You feel like both are just as good? For cortisol testing, I feel like both saliva and urine testing are good. They're reproducible, like meaning if we do the test again, you know, we we get similar results. Um, the urine test gives us even more information than the saliva test does. So I usually do urine testing. Um, and so there are some times when, depending on what hormone we're testing, I like one test versus another. But for cortisol, um, they're both fine, but I prefer the urine test because we get a little bit more information. So when we talk about adrenal issues, I know that there's different stages, um, you know, where people may be in stage one adrenal fatigue, and then it kind of goes from there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. Depending on um, how long this has been going on, um, initially what tends to happen is that the cortisol level and the DHEA level start to go up. So your body is appropriately responding to the stress by making more of the stress hormones to help you cope. And what happens when you make more of these stress hormones is literally your physiology in your body changes. So blood flow patterns change. They go more to your muscles. So you can run away from the saber-toothed tiger that's chasing you, um, you know, is is how we evolved. Um, So initially things go up. But as the stress is prolonged and is more severe, then things sort of start to burn out. The system can't always maintain. And so eventually, as it becomes more severe and you go through more phases, things get burned out. And now your um, adrenal hormones end up too low. And so that's when things are even worse. So we can tell based on the, the DHEA level and the cortisol level and whether they're both high or both low or, or um, one is high and one is low, we can sort of tell just how bad things really are for you. Mm-hmm. And then once people find out what's going on, what are some ways that we can start to support it? 
Oh, I think this is so important because, you know, you can know, even without a test, that stress is part of the problem. And, you know, as doctors, doctors, even conventional doctors, they know that stress is bad for our health. They just don't have tools in order to help people with stress, right? It's not very helpful for somebody to tell you, you should reduce stress. Like we all know we should reduce stress. If only we knew what to do. Right. But the reality is there is so much that we can do. So first of all, reducing your stress, obviously, you know, if there are... Uh, a lot of times what I find is we sometimes create some of our own stress. Yep. So sometimes there are circumstances around us that we can't change, right? If you have a, a sick child, for example, or you're going through a divorce, but, but so much of it we do to ourselves. So a lot of it is not actually how much stress you have in your life. It's how you allow the stress to affect you because your brain doesn't really know the difference between your imagination and what's really happening. So if you're thinking, you know, all the worst case scenarios and worrying about the same thing over and over again, you're taking whatever your situation is and you're actually making it worse. But if you are someone who is optimistic, if you're a spiritual person and you're a person of faith, um, you know, if you can think positively, those are all things that help to sort of take that same stressful situation and minimize the negative physiologic impact that it's having on your body. So simplifying things, you know, not worrying about things that maybe we don't need to worry about. But also there are things that you can purposefully do in order to reduce the stress response. So meditation is wonderful breathing exercises, laughter, prayer, being outside in nature, going for a walk. These are the kinds of things that reset this whole HPA axis system. And they're really powerful medicine. If I could just package them in a pill, I would, <laughs> but you can't, you know, just like nobody can eat your broccoli for you. This is something that you need to do for yourself. But taking care of yourself on the inside is really important. So there's a lot of sort of mind body things that can be done as a starting place. Yes. And I am with you a hundred percent on that. I think, you know, there's obviously, we're going to get into some foods and nutrients too, but I think sometimes, you know, people kind of jump on that before looking at some of those basics that are just crucial. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're trying to do, like if we're going to talk about nutritional supplements and foods and things, but yet you're sabotaging yourself by, um, you know, being all wrapped up in drama and things that, that maybe are preventable, then you sort of, you don't really get the good results that you want. So that part's really critical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other thing that I see happen a lot is, you know, people might be doing the food, but, you know, they may be so stressed about it. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't eat this thing. And, but I really want it, but I can't do it. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Right. And, you know, they're trying to do something good, but they're almost creating yes. more stress. And so that can backfire too. Uh, yes. But let's talk about foods. As a general statement, a healthy diet is going to be good for your adrenal glands. And so, you know, eating a whole foods diet, lots of fruits and vegetables of, you know, all different colors, of course, is important. And sugar in particular is bad for your adrenal glands because part of cortisol's job is to help to regulate your blood sugar. And, and specifically what it does is it helps your blood sugar to drop, to not drop too low in between meals. So if you're eating sugar, then what ends up happening is your blood sugar spikes up and then crashes down and you have to call on cortisol to help prevent it from dropping. And in fact, people who don't have enough cortisol often do have blood sugar drops in between meals and they get a little hypoglycemic. So they feel kind of shaky and weak and they have brain fog and they don't feel so good. And then when they eat something, they feel an awful lot better. So that's kind of a clue. 
Um, so eating a healthy diet, not eating, you know, cutting out the sugar and the processed foods is really important. Alcohol is hard on your adrenal glands. So trying to do your best to minimize alcohol. And caffeine is actually hard on your adrenal glands too, because while it makes you feel better in the moment, in the long run, you're kind of kicking your adrenals when they're down by overstimulating them. And so Sometimes I don't usually tell people who are exhausted they can't have any caffeine from the get go because sometimes you know that's like all that's keeping them moving in the day. Mm-hmm. But relying on caffeine to get through the day is another bad sign. So so really trying to work on cutting back on the caffeine is important too. Yeah, for sure. Now, what about supplements? And obviously, you know, I understand every person is different and depending on how far along the adrenal journey someone is, you know, that's going to vary. But can you talk about the different classes of nutrients that we have um, that support our adrenals, you know, from vitamins to, you know, maybe glandulars and things like that? Vitamin C is one of the ingredients your body actually needs to make cortisol. And humans, interestingly, are one of the very few animals that can't make our own vitamin C. So we have to get it in our diet. But so taking vitamin C can be helpful in order to support adrenal function. So that's one of the most important vitamins. And um, as far as another class, so adaptogenic herbs are a whole range of different herbs that have been used for thousands of years all over the world to help people cope with the stress response. And of course, thousands of years ago, we didn't exactly understand how they work in our cells, but now we really do understand. And um, so some examples of these herbs that can be helpful are ashwagandha, holy basil, ginseng, rhodiola. And these are ones they're they're commonly put in little com, you know combinations of these different herbs in um, different supplements. So adaptogenic herbs help us to adapt to stress. So they're helpful whether your cortisol is too high or too low because they kind of help reset that normal circadian rhythm of cortisol release. So you're releasing the right amount in the right time. Another kind of category is the glandulars. And so this is desiccated um, either porcine or bovine, so from pig or from uh, cow, adrenal tissue. And it sort of gives your body back what it needs in order to be able to make more cortisol. So typically, if someone is very low in cortisol, I might use a glandular. And if they're you know high at one time of the day and low at another time of the day, I might use an adaptogenic herb. And then there are specific herbs that are m- more calming that we might choose for people when cortisol is too high. And another supplement that can be really great for people if their cortisol is too high is called phosphatidylserine, um, which is available. Um, So sometimes knowing whether your cortisol is high or low or or, um, lost the normal rhythm can help us to pick which of these nutritional supplements might be the best choice for you. But for somebody who's not really sure um, adaptogenic herbs are generally okay, no matter you know whether you're too high or too low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, I love phosphatidylserine. It's one of my favorite supplements for high cortisol. So I am with you on that. Now, what about DHEA? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And you know what happens when it's low versus high, and what we could do in those cases. 
some women have high DHEA because of stress. Some women who have a condition called PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, they can have high DHEA. And if your DHEA level is high, you can have some symptoms like you might have um, acne breakouts or you might have oily skin. I don't see this a lot. So in women with PCOS, we do. But, but as a general rule, what I find more often is low DHEA. So when we're under stress, our adrenal glands will put the resources towards cortisol at the expense of the DHEA. And so a lot of times the DHEA starts to go down. And DHEA is an anti-aging hormone. It's a build and repair hormone. So it keeps our bones and our muscles strong. It helps our immune system to stay strong. And it's the precursor hormone to testosterone for women. And so um, if the DHEA level goes down, then your testosterone level could also go down. And then you lose interest in sex and you lack motivation and you just don't really feel good. And then, you know, when the, all these things are happening to you, all you really know is that you don't feel great. And you go into your doctor saying, I don't feel good good. And they do the standard tests that they normally do, which aren't going to pick any of this up. And they tell you that you're normal, which is really frustrating. And if you insist, well, I don't feel normal, then really their only recourse is to hand you an antidepressant because they just don't really know what else to do. But DHEA, if it is low, is available over the counter as a nutritional supplement, and it can help give a little boost to energy, a little zip to the libido, um, you know, can help perk up your testosterone levels a little bit. But I typically don't recommend taking DHEA unless you have your level tested, because if you're taking it and you don't really need it, then it's not really going to help. And if your level is one of the people where it's a little high, then it's certainly not going to make anything better if you add more of it. So it's important but it's one of the ones that I would test before I would recommend. Yep, I agree with you on that. What are some of the ways that people could test for DHEA? Do you like doing that in blood or do you prefer urine or saliva? You know, this one, I would do any of the three. So it's when we order the urine test, it is part of the urine test. So we'll get it anyway. Um, It can be done in a saliva test and that's fine. It also is okay to do it in a blood test. So, you know, if you happen to be going and getting your blood test done, it it could be done. If you are going to have it done in a blood test, though, we want it to be a specific kind of DHEA. It has to be DHEA. S, which stands for DHEA sulfate. And so if you ask your doctor to order it for you on your standard lab panel, they may or may not really be familiar with exactly which little box to check. So, And so if someone has regular DHEA in blood and not DHAS, that would not be accurate? Yeah, it, it um, varies a lot. And so it's not very consistent in your bloodstream. And so it, it, it might look fine at the moment you had your blood drawn, but most of the time it's low or vice versa. So it's not so accurate. Yeah. Now, how about pregnenolone? Because that's another hormone that's kind of related here. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the connection with that and the adrenals? Mm -hmm. So pregnenolone is a hormone that's kind of the master hormone. And, you know, interestingly, all these hormones that we're talking about are made out of cholesterol. So cholesterol is not a bad thing. Your body really needs cholesterol. And so all these drugs to drive your cholesterol down into the dirt are are potentially causing hormone deficiencies, but cholesterol is made into pregnenolone. And then pregnenolone can be converted into any of the other hormones. So cortisol, progesterone, you know, and then on down the line into estrogen and testosterone. So if we were to give you some pregnenolone, your body can use the pregnenolone to make progesterone and to make 
cortisol. And progesterone is sort of the immediate precursor to cortisol, and pregnenolone is the immediate precursor to progesterone. So sometimes when we're stressed, pregnenolone levels can be depleted too, and adding back pregnenolone can then give your body the resources it needs, and then your body's own wisdom can choose which of the hormones it wants to make. And it can really help people to feel better, you know, when they're stressed. Now, as people start to support their adrenals, when do they start to notice a difference in how they feel? And, you know, when do some of their symptoms start to subside? That's a really good question because when you're tired all the time, you want to feel better like yesterday and it's not a quick fix. So if you start improving your lifestyle habits and doing some stress management techniques and maybe taking some supplements, you will gradually start to feel better. And oftentimes I tell people that we really should start to be seeing improvements within the first month, but sometimes this can take months before it's really better. And for some people, if you're really you know, if your adrenal glands are really struggling, it can even take an entire year before you're really kind of back up to full speed again. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a, sometimes it's a little bit of a gradual process. And, you know, I know we talked about fatigue as, you know, being one of the main symptoms, um, but, you know, people could experience so many other things with it. So, you know, as they're going through the process, what are some of the other symptoms they may be feeling? One that everybody hates is weight gain. So high cortisol makes us gain weight, especially on your belly. So it's that midsection, you know, weight gain that that makes us all bananas. And high cortisol makes us gain weight. So you would assume that if things get even worse and your cortisol drops and now it's too low, that you should lose weight. But sadly, that is not the case. And when your cortisol is too low, it's really hard to lose weight. So weight gain is a really common struggle. Another really common one we see is mood problems. So we know that high cortisol is associated with depression and low cortisol and anxiety because you've got all this stress hormone going through your system. So you can feel really stressed out. You can feel wired but tired, um, sort of overstimulated feeling, so which, which feels a lot like anxiety. And low cortisol also causes all kinds of mood symptoms because it's so hard to cope with everything. Everything just feels scary and exhausting and little things feel like such a big deal, even when they, you know, shouldn't necessarily be so stressful. So mood symptoms are another really common one. We see hair loss. We can see hot flashes and night sweats. So if you're having hot flashes and night sweats, it's not necessarily from menopause or an estrogen problem, it can actually be from a cortisol problem. Um, High cortisol can make your blood pressure go up. It can make your blood sugar go up. So when we have a lot of stress, that actually pushes us towards diabetes. So if your blood sugar is not so great, reducing stress is one of the things that you can do to try to help. And a lot of times people will describe things like kind of losing enjoyment in the things that, you know, they really love to do. So you sort of put one foot in front of the other and you make your way through the day and you do the things that you really have to get done today. And the rest of the things, you know, you sort of leave them by the wayside because, you know, you're just not really feeling it. Um, Cortisol problems very commonly cause a lack of libido and just loss of interest in sex. Um, It can cause you to have thinner, dry skin. Just your skin is not so healthy. Very bad for your short-term memory. So, you know, remembering people's names and, and why you walked in the room and all of those kinds of things. And then sugar cravings is a really common one and salt cravings. And sometimes this feels kind of weird to people because people who have very low cortisol sometimes do things like drink 
pickle juice, like the the juice in the pickle jar, because they're really craving salt. Um, And part of the explanation here is that aldosterone, which is yet another hormone from your adrenal glands, it controls the salt and water balance in your body. And when your body's putting all the resources into making cortisol at the expense of the other hormones, sometimes you don't have quite enough aldosterone. So now you can't hold salt in your body. So when when you get thirsty and you drink water, it kind of goes right through you. And like 20 minutes later, you got to go pee and you sort of end up with low blood pressure, sort of 90 over 60 or, you know, just running on the low end of normal. Um, And sometimes if you stand up too quickly, your blood pressure can drop too low and you get that Mm -hmm. lightheaded feeling like you feel like you're going to pass out. Yeah. So those are all things that we can sometimes see when your adrenals are having a hard time. Yeah, no, this is so helpful because I think that people know fatigue, but they don't always think about some of these other symptoms. So it's so helpful for people to know that all of these are very connected. You know, and interestingly, you know, some of these are going to be similar symptoms to when people have issues with thyroid. You know, what's the connection between the thyroid and the adrenals? Oh, that's a really important one. So cortisol regulates how your body uses the thyroid hormone. So if we assume that you have a perfectly normal thyroid gland, you're making the right amount of thyroid thyroid hormone, um, what comes out of your thyroid gland is T4. So T4 will go around and around in your bloodstream, but it doesn't actually do anything. When it gets to your tissues, you have to convert it into T3. And that's the thyroid hormone that attaches to your cells and tells them to generate more energy and burn more calories and make you feel better. Well, some people aren't very good at converting T4 to T3. So what ends up happening then is when you get your lab tests done, the standard lab tests um, will look normal because they're not usually testing the T3. So you're told that you're normal, but the inside of your cells feels like you're hypothyroid. You've got all the symptoms. And cortisol, when it's not right, is one of the things that interferes in you being able to activate the thyroid hormone into T3. So there are so many women out there who are sure that their symptoms have got to be from a thyroid problem, but they go into their doctor to complain and they're told that their thyroid test is normal. And so generally, even though there's a lot of controversy over the thyroid testing and how the, is the normal range really the optimal range. But if you are full blown off the deep end hypothyroid, they would pick that up. So often what I see is it's not really your thyroid glands fault. It's that you can't use the thyroid because of your cortisol problem. And so if we can correct your adrenal issue, a lot of the symptoms will go away. And there is a lot of overlap between thyroid and adrenal systems, the hair loss and the weight gain and the fatigue and the mood issues, et cetera. So sometimes it can be a little bit confusing and it's always best to check both. Absolutely. I can't agree more. And, you know, like you said, a lot of times it's, you know, your thyroid might be maybe you're not converting as well, it's a little sluggish, but the adrenal is the underlying issue because sometimes, you know, people may even get on thyroid support if they're seeing someone more functional and say, well, your thyroid is in range, but I'll give you a little armor. Let's do a little bit of that. And, you know, a lot of times that's not always helpful because then it's just making the thyroid more lazy if you can't utilize it anyway. Or people will go to their regular doctor. They really are hypothyroid and they're put on Synthroid, which is the standard medicine, which is just the T4. But if you can't activate it because of... um, your adrenal tissue, you don't feel better. So that was my story. I was hypothyroid and I, it took years to get a diagnosis. They kept telling me I was normal, even though I was exhausted all the time. But then I got put on Synthroid and I was on Synthroid for 10 years and I still had all the symptoms of low thyroid 
because I wasn't converting properly. And, you know, I'd gone through medical school and residency and had four kids and no wonder my adrenal glands were tired. Um, but, you know, my thyroid labs always, always looked okay and they didn't teach us any of this at medical school. So I just sort of lived in survival mode for such a long time until I learned about all of this. Mm -hmm. Yep. I have a similar story with that as well. Now, were you able to, you know, once you supported your adrenals, were were you able to better convert or do you need extra T3 support along with your Synthroid now? So both. So I, I no longer take Synthroid. Now I take the, the desiccated thyroid, which contains the natural form that contains the T3 and the T4. And I helped um, support my adrenal glands. And, you know, now on your your podcast, I've written a book, I've done all sorts of really fun things. I've got my own practice, but those things would have been completely unthinkable in the past because all I could do was just make it till, you know, the end of dinner. And then I was just done for the day. So it's totally changed my life. Amazing. I feel the same. And it actually took me a little while, um, you know, just like you to go through all of this. And I've dealt with so many different health issues, you know, both adrenals and thyroid. And it took a couple of years, more even really than that. But for the adrenals and thyroid, it took a couple of years to figure it out. But it's the combination approach that I felt like was really the key for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about exercise. You know, oftentimes when we're tired, one of the things that we hear is, well, just go work out you'll feel better, right? But sometimes, you know, if people are having adrenal issues, you know, they're tired and then they exercise and it doesn't help, it actually makes it worse. So talk a little bit about that and how that all works. Yeah, and actually I'm gonna tell a little story about this one because I had a patient who owned a gym she was a fitness instructor. So she was so into health and fitness and eating right. And she just lived that. It made her so excited, but she was so tired all the time. She lived on caffeine to get her through the day. And she felt like such a hypocrite because her whole career was based on trying to tell people that if you exercise and eat right, you'll feel great. But here she was doing that and she wasn't feeling great. But because she felt so strongly about the importance of exercise, she forced herself to work out. And after she would work out, she'd have to go home and lie down on the couch because she was just so wiped out and exhausted. So in her case, she had adrenal problems that she didn't realize. And when you exercise, that's a stress on your body. It's a good stress, but nonetheless, it's a stress. And cortisol levels go up um, to help you cope with the exercise. And then they go down and that's just normal. But if you have an adrenal problem and then you go and you exercise, you're, you're stressing your body and your body doesn't have enough to be able to cope with that stress. So then you just end up wiped out. And so instead of boosting your energy and feeling better, you feel depleted and tired out. And sometimes when people are really bad, it can even take them like a day or two to recover. So what we recommend for people who are exhausted and have adrenal issues is gentle exercise. So go outside for a walk. Um, do some yoga, you know, stretch, get a pedometer and just, you know, try to get more steps in your day. So it's good to move your body. Um, It's not good to do nothing, but joining a boot camp or training for a triathlon or something like that is really not the best choice for people who have adrenal issues. And so for my patient, once we were able to help her, we, we actually had her cut back on her exercise. And that took a lot of convincing that it's okay not to exercise hardcore every day until you recover. Um, and so she cut back, we helped her adrenals, and now she's able to do all the things that she wants to do and she's back to normal again. Oh, that's great. That's great. But yeah, so many people don't realize and they push and push and push, not realizing they're making their adrenal worse. So I'm so glad you're saying 
saying that. And for people, yeah, cutting down, taking a little bit of a breather, doing yoga, things that are lighter are going to be great. So Dr. Deb, as we wrap up here, what would be your best three pieces of advice uh, for those that are dealing with fatigue and suspect adrenal issues? I think my first piece of advice would be to think about the sources of stress in your life and identify what are the things that you just can't avoid and try to come up with ways to help balance those things, you know, whether it's yoga or meditation or whatever, and look at the things that you're doing to yourself and and try to help yourself to catch yourself when you're thinking, you know, ruminating over and over again about, oh, I can't believe she said that to me and reliving that conversation. Catch yourself and, and turn your thoughts to something more positive. So the second thing I would say is seeing a functional medicine doctor can really make all the difference because so many people suffer and they're trying to live a healthy lifestyle and they're trying to do the right things on their own, but without having somebody who can really work with you to help you figure out for you what is the best thing. You know, when you read a book or something, they'll give you a whole list of supplements you can take and all these things, but it's hard to know what's the best for you. So I feel like working with some kind of a functional medicine, you know, health practitioner who can do these tests and figure out for you what the best thing that um, that's really important. And then the third thing that I would say is know that you can recover, know that you don't deserve to feel this way um, and don't accept feeling this way because um, this is so common that it's actually almost expected. Like we almost expect to be exhausted all the time or expect to have to take a sleeping pill or um, you know, to be stressed out. And taking time for ourselves and going to get a massage or to sit on the bench and meditate or whatever, we almost feel guilty, like we really ought to be folding the laundry or unloading the dishwasher or something. But but please know that taking care of yourself is not selfish. It's important. It makes a really big difference. Um, and if you need to spend money to go see a doctor to help you, if you need to spend money to buy supplements, if you need to, you know, take a little bit of time away from your family to, you know, soak in the bathtub or or whatever it really is important. And you can't do a good job of taking care of all the people who care about you if you're not your best version of you. For sure. Dr. Deb, thank you so much for all of this information. So many clinical pearls here. And I think it's going to be so helpful for so many people. I really appreciate you being here. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. As you just heard, Proper adrenal gland function plays a huge role in our energy, but also goes so much deeper than that. It affects our whole body functions. So these little glands are just so imperative to our health. I'll tell you more about what we did for Cindy in just a second, but first, if you want to contact or find out more about Dr. Debbie Matthew and her practice, Signature Wellness, you will see all of this information plus all the resources we discussed right in the show notes. You can access the show notes at healthmysterysolve.com or if you're listening to this on any of your podcast apps like iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, just scroll down and all of the show notes or links are right there for your convenience. And for Sydney... We ran a Dutch test where she collected urine at different parts of the day to get a better idea of what her cortisol and hormones were doing. As I suspected, her adrenal glands were struggling. Her cortisol was low in the morning, completely not surprising based on her symptoms and when the fatigue was at its worst. 
it remained low in the late morning and afternoon, and then there was a small little spike in the evening, which also made sense because that's when she got her second wind. It was very likely that her evening cortisol was much higher at one point when the stress first started, and then her overall cortisol declined, and there was just not enough there, so the evening dropped as well, and of course the morning went down too. So she had what we call that reverse cortisol curve. It was just a little bit less pronounced now because there wasn't that much cortisol around. Additionally, she also had low DHEA, which was a further indication the adrenals were struggling. Her sex hormones, which were her estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, were also on the lower end, though she was having regular cycles. I saw that while her B12 and folate were normal, her B6 was low. And B6 is a cofactor in over 100 different enzymatic reactions, and it's essential for the adrenals. So I started her on a combination called Cortico B5-B6 by Metagenics, which had B5 and B6, and we took that twice a day. And even though her cortisol was low most of the day, the fact that it spiked at night was not a good sign. And I'm always very conscious about calming things before stimulating to prevent overstimulation for that reason. So I used phosphatidylserine at dinner for four weeks. I know that I talk about the supplement a lot. I use the PS150 from Designs for Health because it just works so well when cortisol is elevated. And by the way, I wanted to make sure that you guys know that if you ever needed any supplements, you can use code DFH10, that is the letter D-F-H, and then the number 10, and you get 10% off all of the Designs for Health supplements on my practice website, Complete Nutrition and Wellness. Sid was feeling more even in the evening after that month, which is when I switched her to the Adrenovive from the PS150. Adrenovive is made by Orthomolecular, and we were taking that at breakfast and one at dinner. Now, this is a combination of adaptogenic herbs, and it had a tiny little bit of phosphatidylserine, not as much as the PS150, just a little bit. So it was a nice transition to help balance the adrenals, but with some things that also help to calm so we don't overstimulate. At the same time, I also started her on five milligrams of liquid sublingual DHEA in the morning and also in the early afternoon. DHEA works really well for those that have low DHEA and in need of support. However, please be aware that this supplement works as a hormone precursor. So you don't want to take it just to take it if you don't know your actual DHEA levels, or you also don't want to take it if you have a history of elevated estrogen or testosterone dominance or a history of female cancers like breast cancer or ovarian cancer. DHEA can really work wonders, but you really want to make sure that you work with someone or really understand your numbers before just taking this specific supplement because of how it works. Four weeks later, Sydney was feeling about 30% better. She was not as exhausted during the day, and her mornings were a little bit easier. At this point, I changed her from the Adrenovive to the Adrenol, also by Orthomolecular Products. This is a combination of adaptogenic herbs and an adrenal glandular with a few synergistic B vitamins. This one is the most energizing, and I waited till now to add it because I had to make sure her body was ready to prevent overstimulation. Orthomolecular products can be a little hard to get online, and many retailers like Amazon really hike up the price. So if you ever need any of their supplements, they are available on my practice website, Complete Nutrition and Wellness. You just have to log into your account to be able to view them. So this way, you're not paying double or even triple when trying to purchase on Amazon. 
Now, while doing all of this with Sydney, we also worked on the mind-body piece. And if you listen to the show, you know I'm a big proponent of supporting the body from all angles, the biochemical, but also the energetic. And when it comes to adrenals, since stress is the culprit, supporting it from both angles is key. Sydney started a deep breathing practice and committed to taking 30 minutes a day to herself, doing things she actually enjoyed. We also worked on boundaries and saying no more, because remember, every time that you say yes to something means that you're going to be saying no to something else. And in her case, she was saying yes to so many things, even if those things were things she didn't really want to do, leaving very little time for the things that she really did want to do and truly enjoyed. Between all of these things, Sydney was 75% better in four months. We continued the adrenal support and the DHEA for a few more months, and six months later, she was back to her normal self. She didn't need all of those supplements after that because her nervous system was calmer and her adrenals were much more in line. However, she continued the stress reduction techniques and even enrolled in a meditation retreat so she can continue to support her body. She was so excited to be feeling better, and of course, I was too. When it comes to adrenals, it's not an overnight process, and it's not uncommon for it to take four to six months, sometimes even a little bit longer, depending on how long the problem has been going on and what you're able to do. But the important thing to remember is that bringing your adrenals back to life is absolutely possible. And in the grand scheme of things, six months is really not that long, especially if you've been suffering with symptoms for many, many months or even many years. If Sydney sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. When it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up. While the answers may not always be what you think they are or maybe not right in front of you, with a little digging, they are there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.